Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Risotto. What is happening, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 103 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Risotto, and today we are joined by a very special guest, a former big league left-handed pitcher who played in parts of three seasons at the big league level uh, with the Giants, Padres, Cubs, been with a few other organizations. Uh, professionally, I uh, pitched from 2008 to 2012 in the big leagues. Uh, it is Alex Hinshaw. Alex joins the show. Alex, how you doing? Welcome. What's going on, everybody? How are you, buddy? I'm doing very well. I mean, it's spring, uh, the beginning of baseball season. It's a great time for everybody. Uh, the season still began, and I, that's kind of where I want to start with you. Do you still keep up with what's happening around the game? Are you still, like, watching any teams or players? Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, just because I'm out of the game doesn't mean I'm not a fan of the game anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I was trying to keep up as much as possible with, you know, the lockout. And I still, I still am familiar with a lot of guys that are still playing, so I follow them. Uh, obviously the giants are pretty near and dear to my heart. So I, I follow them pretty, pretty extensively. Um, and I, I just like, you know, keeping track of all the player movement, front office stuff. I just, I don't know. I'm a, I'm kind of a baseball nerd, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Aren't we all, uh, and also, you know, you mentioned that you've been watching the game, I guess the past few years and since you got out of it and you watched probably watched last year's giants team. And there's, there's a few things, not just with last year's team, but with uh, across major league baseball, there's different trends from when you played. What are some of the, the, the big changes that you've noticed within the game? Maybe uh, obviously there's been some rule changes, but maybe just the way the game's played is, is there any changes that you've noticed? I'm sure, I'm sure that's a loaded well, question. Mean, outside of the, the pink elephant in the room with all the, uh, data and analytics movement and taking over the game. Um, you know, just the focus on kind of all of that with, with spin rate and, you know, strategy with the shift and the three true outcomes and everything like that. It, it's just, it's a different game. And I, and the one thing that really sticks out is that, you know, the, the running game, I guess, has taken a back seat because nobody wants to give away a base runner or risk giving away a base runner. Um, and now with the universal DH, I mean, a lot of the strategy is taken out of it. I mean, that's, that's one thing that, you know, I always brag about Boach from when I played with him is that that man knew how to put the most complex puzzle together in seconds. You know, he, his mind just, was on another level. Hmm. And, and I think, you know, the, the, the pitching aspect, especially for me, because I was a pitcher that that's kind of changed a little bit where everybody is wanting to go 110 from pitch one to, to pitch 85 when they get taken out. Right. So if, if they know they only have a certain window to work with, they want to give it every ounce of effort that they have. I mean, that's probably why I was a failed starter and became a reliever because that's, that was my mentality all the time. Like if I'm going to get beat, I'm going to get beat with my best. I don't need to pace myself. I don't 
like doing that. I can't handle that. Um, and I think that's really something. I think that's why injuries are on the rise. I think, you know, people are like, hey, if he's going to try as hard as I can. Then the hitter is going to try as hard as they can. So that plays into the, you know, either hit it out of the ballpark, strike out or walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned an interesting aspect there. You mentioned, uh, you know, kind of being looked at as a failed starter. And that used to be the mindset for all these bullpen uh, bullpen arms that we have. And, you know, it used to be where if you're not the five starter or if you struggle as the five starter, you get knocked and you get thrown in the bullpen. Well, now it's like, you know, everybody in the bullpen is good and, you know, throwing, <laughs> throwing 95, 96 and, it's kind of a different look. So has that kind of failed starter mentality kind of left the game in a way? I think, I think everyone sees, you know, kind of the writing on the wall when it comes to the pitching side. I mean, nowadays relievers are making more than starters were back when I made my debut, you know, and it's, they're really putting a focus on kind of trying to shorten the game in the, in the manager's eyes right you we used to call it you know five and dive you go your five innings and leave it up to the bullpen right especially in the minor leagues where pitch counts are are super strict um and now it's kind of flowed into the big league level where you get some of these young starters or maybe especially this year where a lot of guys didn't really pick up a ball until you know january because they didn't know if there was going to be a spring training or not. So there's, there's that aspect and just having the mentality of, all right, here's the fourth inning, all hands on deck. You know what I mean? You got to be ready to go when the, when that phone rings Mm. and depending on the lineup, depending on the situation, you kind of have a grasp of when you're going to go in, but nowadays you just never know. You might get a call from the, from the, analytics department upstairs like hey there's a 47 percent chance that this is going to happen oh well then maybe i should get hinshaw going instead of a righty whatever so it's it's just the roles aren't as defined outside of closer anymore and it plays into the swing man it plays into the openers and it's it's just it's weird, man. It's still fun to watch, but it's, it's weird. Yeah, no, it's weird. And I think, uh, I think a lot of fans and I, I, I still like the, the starting pitching matchup. I, I feel like with the opener, um, it, it's a little different. It's a, it's definitely different to sell and I guess to advertise, you know, cause everybody wants to see, you know, Walker Bueller, Logan Webb. That's always a good matchup for people to, to buy tickets for. Now, if they're going to buy tickets for someone who's going to throw, you know, an inning in two thirds, it's not, it's not necessarily a game that you would circle on the calendar. Now, Alex Hinshaw as a bullpen left-handed pitcher, you know, a guy who maybe is used to coming in, you mentioned five and dive. Now it's kind of like four and two thirds and dive. Uh, but if you were asked to, and I'm sure I, I'm going to get a default answer here, but you know, say if Bruce Bochy or somebody came up to you and said, you know, Alex, you're going to start the game today. Would you be like taken aback or like, you know, obviously uh, that didn't really happen back then, but what would be your reaction to getting the call to be the opener? Well, I'm, I'm sure some colorful language probably would have came out of my mouth first <laughs> and then maybe a slight bit of panic and then adrenaline. And then 
I would probably think that either Rags or Boach were playing a joke. But or we're like on something. Yeah, like is this a hidden camera show or am I getting punked? What is this? Uh, but I think once once it actually settled in, I mean, there's obviously a routine that I'm pretty sure most professional athletes have to get ready for a game. And you have to be mentally strong enough to be able to kind of just adjust the timeline and be adaptable to it. I mean, there were, there were times where, you know, perfect example was in spring training. Uh, we had a, we had a starter that was, you know, supposed to go two or three innings. It was early in spring, whatever. And he ended up getting hurt. And I was a backup. I wasn't even supposed to pitch that day unless we went extra innings. And here it is almost the bottom of the second and he's got 70 pitches and he's supposed to go 80 and they don't, and everyone usually has clean innings. Right. So then the phone rings and it's like, Hey, get Hinshaw already. I'm like, Whoa, dude, it's the second inning. What are you talking about? Like my mind wasn't even thinking about getting ready. And it was just like, all right, well, I'm not going to squander the opportunity. So you just got to take the bull by the horns, so to speak. And, get going yeah why not and i guess uh in kind of a broader broader terms if you were running baseball for like a day you know and you had to mix and move things around and make decisions or implement stuff i guess what changes would you make and this is another load you could take this anywhere you want on the field off the field what changes would alex hinshaw make as commissioner of major league baseball Man, I think first and foremost, I, the one thing that sticks out that just pops in my mind is I, I want to rebuild that relationship between the Players Association and the owners, GMs, everybody, right? Because everyone knows that a square wheel doesn't work as well as a round one, right? And if there's... I don't know if there's anything that I would, I wouldn't necessarily change. I think I would just try to improve that communication and just try to get on the same page as easily as possible. Because I mean, I see it, I, I almost see it from three different angles. I see it from the player's perspective because I was one. I see it from the front office perspective because now that I'm actually in a corporate environment, I see it from their side and the business side. But then I also see it from the fan side right? I'm seeing the game that I love be put into jeopardy because two extremely powerful, intelligent, and just alpha groups are butting heads where if you just, you know, took a deep breath, calm down, here's what we want, here's what we want, let's meet in the middle, Things could things could work out and be smooth. Yeah, and they were locked in a, in, in a room at the end, and it, it finally ended up getting done. And I guess uh, when the season started, the players were, and this is from CBS Sports quote: players were greeted on opening day with gift boxes that contained headphones and a letter from Manfred. So, I mean, if you got headphones from the commissioner's office after a long lockout, would there be more colorful language? I, I could find some uses for those headphones, but 
that that could be a story for another time. Um, I think it's it's just it's tough, man. I and I get it. I I've been in situations where people don't see eye to eye. You know, being especially being in sales now, like I I get it from the client side and I get it from the sales side. Like we both want two things to happen and we both have end goals that we need to meet. But how do we get there is, is where the disconnect is. I have my idea of how we're going to get there. You have your idea. Let's, instead of trying to crash and then go forward, why don't we just merge like the freeway and go together? Right. And that, that's the hard thing. Cause like I said, you get two alphas in the same room you know, they're going to butt heads and it's a lot like a clubhouse. But the cool thing about the clubhouse is, yeah, we can argue, we can fight, we can full on brawl. But at the end of the day, we're going to go out on the field and we're going to be pulling the same rope because we want the same thing. And we'll go have a beer and hang out after. Yeah, the brotherhood mentality is still very much there. Uh, let's kind of get into your career now. I know you've, you kind of have an interesting background. Your mother actually immigrated from Afghanistan. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. She moved to California when she was 17. That that's so when did, when did you kind of get to the age where you kind of learned more about that? Cause I, I can't imagine, you know, maybe you're, you're told this as a kid and it kind of goes over your head. What age were you when you kind of first understood the significance of, of something like that with your family's background? Yeah, that's the thing. Like growing up, it, it was just, it, it was normal to me, you know, it was, it, it was my family. I didn't think anything of it. I didn't realize that there was that much weight behind it until probably, I would say, late junior high, early high school, where, you know, some of our, our history classes started talking about it. And I was like, hey, <laughs> I'm kind of from there. That's cool. But then uh, I remember, I think it was either 2008 or 2009, uh, one of my really good friends on the Giants was Brian Horwitz, and he actually, he made a comment. He was like, when do you think the last time somebody actually noticed that a Jewish person and somebody from Afghanistan were this good of friends and teammates? And I was like, why is that even a thing? Like, who cares? We're friends. Who cares? But then I, I can't remember who overheard it, but then all of a sudden they're we're literally doing an interview about it. It's like, to me, it's, it's, it's a source of pride because I know what people from that area have gone through. But on the other token, I am also half American from my dad's side. So it's like, I have two different levels of pride, you know, and it's, it's not something that, that I shy away from. Like if it's brought up, yeah, of course I'll talk about it. But as far as I'm concerned, if people like me because of me, it shouldn't matter where I'm from or what my background is or whatever. But I mean, just to, just to know what my mom's heritage was like and what they'd gone through and what they overcame and how they actually went from being super successful and very prestigious in Afghanistan to being a very, very successful American citizen. 
I mean, 99.9% .9 of my mom's family now lives in the US and they're all US citizens and they all have their own businesses. They all are very successful. They all, I mean, family, family holidays are, are not lacking in the gift department, if you know what I mean. They spoil my two boys like it's going out of style. So that part, that part I, I do cherish. Yeah, and in baseball, I think it it does relate because baseball is a very cultural game. I think more than some of the other uh, American sports, and everybody's represented. So it's good to see even Afghanistan gets gets represented yeah, there. Yeah, I'm, wait I'm waiting for the uh, World Baseball Classic invitation. Let's go. <laughs> Are you ready? When was the last time you throw? Uh, hard? I don't know. I mean, every once in a while, so I work in. I actually work in radio now, but. Uh, one of our uh, primetime hosts has a brother who <laughs> made a made a claim that he was going to play catch every single day for 365 days, all so he could get uh, the Mariners to buy him tickets to a game because he's a huge Mariners fan. So I caught wind of it just because I was listening to it, and I saw him walk by, and they were playing catch inside. And he had no idea who I was. He, he had no idea that there was a former big leaguer working here, nothing. So I go outside, I'm like, who said something about catch? And everybody's like, oh God, here we go. And so we go outside and I'm just like, I'm just tossing with him just so he can do it. And then he's like egging me on. He's like, all right, man, let one go. He's like, I don't want my arm to fall off, but okay. I haven't done this in a while. I just, I let a couple go and uh, it felt really good. I couldn't tell you how hard it was, but it felt good. So if the opportunity arises and, you know, team Afghanistan calls and says, we're looking for, you know, some representatives on the mound, would you hesitate? Not one bit. Just don't make me a starter. There we go. Yeah. So you could be can, a failed starter. I can, starter go, I can you could blow go it out for an inning. That's, that's about it. Give me about six weeks. I'll, I'll see if I can break 85 again yeah that would be a cool gig and they can make you like a like a pitching coach too so like you could do double duty yeah, player coach there you go yeah player coach for team afghanistan let's, let's can't wait for it can't wait for the next one uh, and then of course growing up in in the san diego area i'm guessing you grew up a big san diego padres fan what do you remember most about those padres teams growing I up so i actually technically i'm from la so I, I call it the Bermuda Triangle of Southern California because we're, we're the city I grew up in. The border of Orange County butts up against it. The border of LA County butts up against it. Some of Riverside County, some of San Bernardino County. It's just, it's in an odd spot, right? So Dodger Stadium was actually the closest at the time until, well, I guess no, Angel Stadium was closer, but it was easier to get to Dodger Stadium. So my first couple games were actually at Dodger Stadium. And uh, I remember I was probably nine or 10 and went and saw Dodgers Padres. And I was sitting along right field line and, you know, I fell in love with the colors, right? Because I, I love the color blue, whatever. And then I just sat and watched Tony Gwynn play because I was, I was an outfielder. I never started pitching until like my junior in high school. 
So I was always paying attention to left-handed outfielders and how they played the game. Obviously, Ken Griffey Jr., big one, and Tony Gwynn. So I actually fell in love with Tony Gwynn because he was probably one of the nicer big leaguers that I have come across as a kid. And then after that, you know, I was watching, I was watching him and then I started actually paying attention to, to people like Caminiti, all the way to like Steve Finley, Greg Vaughn. And then it just started progressing and progressing and progressing. And then I actually went to, I actually went to game four and they got swept by the Yankees in the world series and actually bumped into Reggie Jackson. Oh, <laughs> randomly. Like I stood in line for kettle corn for probably 20 minutes. And I was so jacked that I got this big bag of kettle corn and I turned around real quick and I ran into this dude in kettle corn everywhere. And I was so mad. I was so frustrated and I'm looking at this kettle corn on the ground and I pick my head up and I go, Oh God, you're, you're Mr. October. He's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Can I buy you another bag of kettle corn? This and that. And I'm like, no, I'm good. He's like, well, can I get you anything? And I was like, can you just sign my ticket? And he just signed it and went about his way. And I was just like, trying to find the first closest friend that, that was with me and like, dude, did you just see that? And it was, it was awesome. But yeah. And then strangely enough, I, you know, I got to, I got to play for Tony in college. And I mean, to this, to this day, if anybody were to ask me, he's top five greatest human beings that I've ever interacted with. Yeah, you ran into a few of those guys like later in, in your career, obviously playing for Tony Gwynn at SDSU and then Bruce Bochy, who was the manager of those teams. You ended up playing for him. So you can plan and Flannery as well. Yeah. So all, all those guys had that had the San Diego connections you ended up kind of running into. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird how things work out that way, you know, like as a little kid you would just assume that I'd be a Dodger fan and somehow I fell in love with the Padres. And then throughout my life, I just keep running into these ex Padre people and they become integral parts of my life somehow. And it's just weird how things line up like that. And you mentioned that you like the, you know, the color blue and maybe the Padres kind of shade of like whatever blue that was. Do you like their uniforms now with the, with the Brown and the kind of the yellowish color? Oh, I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. Because I, I remember when I played for him in 2012, we we had like this this decades throwback. So we had four four different throwbacks, and it was for each decade. And when they brought out the mustard and the, and the the you know what brown, oh buddy, you better believe you better believe I somehow snuck one of those into my bag. Yeah, there you go. And then, uh, of course, on the on the Sundays, didn't they have the camo jerseys? Oh, they're sweet. They're sweet. They're Those are cool. the the story behind why they wear them. And then we we actually had the the digital camo when I was there in 2012. And buddy, there's nothing cooler than walking out on a Sunday in a clear. San Diego afternoon, feeling the warmth of the sun on your skin, wearing those unis, seeing, oh, seeing the military on the field. Like you, you can't make that up. You can't write a story better than that. And it, it was, 
it was special. Yeah. And a big, big military city. So yeah. they definitely yeah. honor their, the, the military really well down there in San Diego. Did you ever get the chance to play? Uh, did you play, did you cross paths with Tony Gwynn Jr. at SDSU? Yeah. So we actually uh, worked out a couple off seasons when I was still down in San Diego. Uh, we still keep in touch every once in a while. Uh, he's a good dude, man. And, and it's crazy. I, I wasn't even really watching a Padres game. I had it on in the background. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> oh my God. I don't even remember him sounding that much like his dad until I heard him on TV. And I was like, I, I did a double take. And I thought it was like a pre-recorded thing. No, it was junior. And I was like, what? Yeah. Okay. Hey, TG. Weird. Weird. Yeah. And he's really good too. He's really good at breaking down the game. Um, but no, it, it's cool that he's kind of following uh, in his dad's footsteps, you know, in the, in the context of staying within baseball. So I think that's uh, pretty cool that he's doing that for sure. Um, it was definitely very awkward having to face him. Yeah. Especially, especially because uh, one of the first times was in San Diego. So his dad was there and you know, obviously, I want to. I want to impress my coach now that I'm in the big leagues, right? But yeah, that was that was awkward. Yeah, and getting to the big leagues for you was interesting too. I mean, you were drafted like four times. Giants uh, drafted you three times, and I know that was kind of the era of. I'm just going to throw out and guess the whole draft and or the draft and follow or whatever it was called. Yeah. Um, you know, once out of high school, once out of junior college. Uh, once out of SDSU um, by the Giants, that is. Why did the Giants like you so much? What was kind of the connection that you had with uh, people from from uh, in, from the San Francisco organization? So that's the million dollar question, my friend. Uh, <laughs> out of high school, I, I mean, I'll be the first to admit I was super raw. Like I said, I just kind of started pitching. Um, they liked the way my arm worked, I guess, because you know. I remember when the scout, the scout actually came <laughs> to see one of my best friends pitch and I was playing center field during a tournament. And then we ended up, he ended up going the whole game and I didn't end up pitching. Uh, but I threw out a couple guys at the plate from center field, whatever. And then he came back because my, my buddy was actually a two-way player. So he wanted to see him hit. And I ended up pitching and we were playing catch before the game. And the scout came up and asked me, and he was like, your, your arm's not sore at all. Like your, your arm works pretty good. And I was like, I don't really get sore. And he's like, mm, okay. That was the entire conversation. That was all I ever heard. And then they, I got like the little postcard where you fill out your information about, you know, height, weight, hometown grades, whatever. Never had another conversation with the Giants. Didn't even think anything of it. I was more worried about going to college to play. And then here we go, 28th round. Heard my name. And I was like, what? That's cool. Then it was a completely different scout out of junior college. And kind of same thing. Like not, not a lot of conversation, just a lot of head nod and questions and there's another one. Yeah. So, and, it, and junior college, uh, it's an interesting route 
because it's so underappreciated in my mind. I mean, there's they call themselves the Juco Bandits now, and I don't know if it was always like Juco Bandits, but so many big league players have stop gaps at the junior college level, whether that be, you know, maybe they're not going to play the first two years at a four-year university. And it's just such an underrated route. Um, and, and not a lot of uh, guys in high school feel like, uh, that's the right route for them because they always look at and watch TV and they watch, oh, Vanderbilt and they, you know, all these big college baseball schools, SDSU, uh, but they don't, they don't really understand or at least that I found that, you know, there's a lot of players that went to junior college and I eventually want to look into everybody on all the rosters and see how many went to junior college just to make a point, just to make this point. So oh, yeah. what was, well, why was junior college kind of the, uh, the, the, the great option for you? Well, I know just me personally, uh, when I ended up going to Long Beach State out of high school, um, the head coach that recruited me ended up retiring after my freshman year that I redshirted. And then uh, the, the new manager that took over, you know, had a very candid and cutthroat conversation with me saying, you're not ready to pitch here here are your options go to junior college and get better and then we can talk about you coming back or you can stay here and probably never play and just say that you were on the team and i said yeah i'm not i i can't sit on the bench uh but i am going to use this as fuel so my entire intention was to go to junior college and basically prove him wrong that i was good enough and that he made a mistake by having that conversation with me. Uh, I ended up parlaying that into two draft picks, a scholarship offer to the University of Texas, who was the number one school in the country at the time, um, and ended up going to San Diego State and getting drafted again and eventually making it to the big leagues. So I, I, I was obviously upset at the time, but having that motivation, I don't think if I didn't have that conversation, I don't think I would have been as successful as I was. Yeah, and it, I could always tell, you know, if I go to a college game, which guys came from JUCO. There's just the, the vibe about them, the aura about them. Um, it always makes sense when then I go back after the game and see that they were a junior college product. Uh, and then the final time when you were drafted, when did you kind of hear that they took you in the, in the 15th round in 2005? And then when did you kind of say, okay, fourth time, this is probably not a draft and follow situation. You know, I'm going to sign. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of a, it was kind of an odd situation, I guess you could say. Um, so when I went to junior college, I played a season, but keep in mind, I had already redshirted my freshman year. So I played one season in junior college and then as part of the draft and follow, you know, the scouts will keep tabs on you, check in every once in a while. Uh, I was playing in a summer league game and I, I ended up blowing out my elbow and needed Tommy John. So I went under the knife and obviously I couldn't play. So I applied for a medical redshirt in junior college and I, for whatever reason, I don't know to this day, but it worked out eventually. 
the medical redshirt papers never got turned in to the NCAA. So the whole time I thought I was a redshirt junior when I was at San Diego State, I was actually a senior. Ooh. So that kind of took a nice little hit on my draft status. Um, and to be quite honest with you, I, I didn't really have a very good sense of a breaking ball or a changeup. I was, it was just a show me pitch to get timing off of my fastball and it was working. So it was obviously I wasn't going to be a first rounder numbers, history, get it, health risks. But uh, I did know that, you know, senior signs typically don't sign for as much money, no matter what round they're drafted in. So when I got called in the 15th, I was like, you know what, if I, if I want to live my dream, I'm going to, this is my last chance to do it. So let's see what happens. And we had a conversation and, you know, I ended up signing for a lot more than I thought I was going to as a senior. And I was like, let's go, man. Like, let's see what happens. You know, all I need, all I need is a chance. Do you have a favorite minor league city? Ooh. Ooh. Damn, nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> um, I really, the one that sticks out the most is I really liked Memphis just because the food was so good and the, the vibe and the scene was awesome. Uh, I liked Durham. When I played for the Blue Jays, we went to Durham and just nostalgia from the movie. Um, other ones that stick out? I mean, San Jose, just because I played there and I've met some of the most awesome people ever. My host family was awesome. The Who's were more than accommodating. Um, it was right across the street from the school too, San Jose State. Yep. Yep. It was, it was a fun time. Now, did they have those? Cause they have them now did, when you played in San Jose, did they have those, like the shenanigans they had in between innings with the beer batter? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Had we had batter. the super fans. Yeah. 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 And the, uh, the, the little car that comes out in the corner and you have to hit the headlight out. That yeah. was one that they had. Yeah. yeah. Yep. We had all those and our, the, that fan base is awesome. You know, especially for how close it is to San Francisco and everything. It, it was great. The, they came up with nicknames for all of us and they would make t-shirts for us and everything. My nickname was the dentist because apparently I led the league and hit batsmen. So they called me the dentist because I wasn't afraid to drill you. There you go. That's a, I haven't heard of that term. Uh, the dentist. That's yeah. an interesting one. Um, it noticeably missing from your list of, uh, from your probably not really, you know, off the top of your head list of minor league cities, Fresno. And I don't know if I blame you for leaving that one off. <laughs> no, I liked Fresno, man. I, actually, <laughs> one of my, my really good childhood friends uh, ended up becoming a firefighter out there. Uh, literally, I think it was either 2007 or 2008 that he ended up moving up there to be a firefighter. So it was awesome when I, when I ended up going to Fresno at first, I won't lie. I drove in there and saw the hotel and I was like, this should be fun. <laughs> I might need to not walk home by myself, but this should be fun. 
but no, man, he literally let me live with them. He opened his home to me and my now wife, but we weren't married at the time. Um, and it was, it was a great experience, man. That front office was awesome. Uh, the city really took care of us. It was, it was a great place to play. It was just really hot. Yeah. Fresno definitely really dry. Uh, and one guy who didn't spend a lot of time in Fresno, but I know that you've, you had to get a front row seat to, to watch him. Tim Lincecum was one of the greatest pitchers in that oh, era. I literally um, just got the chills when you said his name, Tim Lincecum. And, and he, the funny thing is, is that he's so beloved here, but he's such a hard guy to keep in contact with. And the organization tries really hard at trying to bring him back to stuff. And like, he came back to Bochy's last, uh, last game. And like, that was the first anybody's seen him in years. Yeah, he's very like low key. Um, but what was it like getting a chance to watch this guy kind of on a day in day out basis? Oh, Timmy's Timmy's one of my guys, man. I, I love that guy to death. You know, he, we actually, uh, met in 06 when he came to San Jose, um, and it, I mean, the first time I ran into him, like you just see this kid run out for BP shagging fly balls on a day that he's supposed to start. And I, I'll be the first to admit, I was just like, whose kid is that? Like, is this one of the bat boys? Like, who is this? You know, and ended up talking to him. And then I was, I, I was starting at the time. So I was doing the chart behind home plate. And everyone was like, oh, this guy throws 100, you know, he throws a 88 mile an hour curveball that falls off the table. And I'm just like, this little kid? I was like, all right, let me see. And I'm doing the gun chart, right? So he comes up for his first inning. And I'm not kidding you. First pitch is just 96 on the black. And I'm just like, oh, oh that's different. Like, it just, it looked and sounded different. And I was like, 96. Okay. Second pitch throws a fastball. And I, even from behind home plate, you could see it kind of take off. And the guy missed it by like, like six feet. And it said 98. And I go, okay. All right. That's pretty cool. And I could see him kind of like looking to see if I, if I had a reaction. I don't know if he was doing it on purpose. I never asked him. But then he throws this, this bastard breaking ball where it just like, I, I don't know how our catcher caught it. Our catcher was Todd Jennings at the time, who was actually my catcher in college. And then whatever, just seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, so then he gets out of the inning and little thing about Timmy is he sweats like nobody I've ever seen before. So I'm going inside to the clubhouse to, to refill my water or whatever. And he's in there and he's changing his undershirt because it, it soaked from the first inning. And I just, I made a little snide comment. I said, I thought you threw hard. And he goes, what do you mean? And I was like, I thought you were like 92, 93. And he goes, really? And that was it. And I just walked out. I just left it at that. Oh man. I had no idea. He came out. I'm not kidding you. Next three pitches, 98, 
99-101. Wow. So you had something to do with his rise in velocity. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it was in the <laughs> tank. He just, he wasn't, no. And then, of course, me being stupid, we became very close friends. And the next uh, time we went out to play catch, he needed a catch partner. And that was the one and only time I would ever, to this day, play catch with Tim Lincecum. My catch partner in the big leagues was Brian Wilson. And he threw very heavy and very hard. And he threw cutters. And he's actually a very good, very good knuckleball thrower. And he would always mess around. And I, I play catch with him every day. Totally fine. I would rather play catch with R.A. Dickey Brian Wilson, hell, I'd, I'd rather play catch with Aroldis Chapman than play catch with Timmy because it is so unassuming. It, it just, it gets on you so quick. It, he, there isn't a better nickname for somebody than the freak. And I love that man to death. He's so unassuming. He's actually really funny and really smart and goofy. And we got along so well. I, I, I had nothing but awesome things to say about him yeah and he's he's very he was known uh for being very superstitious too i mean he oh. was he was known for eating the in and out burger but in between starts or before start starts were yeah. you were you ever superstitious like maybe not like that but were you ever superstitious at all you know or i Does guess how many players... in a circle <laughs> yeah exactly oh how, my, how, how many players did crazy things did you take part in any of that I mean, I, they didn't seem crazy to me, but maybe to other people, it might've been crazy. I mean, I always, I always got dressed the same way. Uh, always kind of did my routine the same way. If things were going well, I didn't want to change anything. And if things went bad, I, I was the first to switch it up. Like, uh, Timmy and I actually start here's back to Timmy. Here's how weird we are we actually started growing our hair out at the same time right and it was it was a race to see who would cut it first i actually got sent back to fresno after a few weeks in the big leagues in in 09 and i ended up blowing a save and the first thing i did was i'm done with my hair cut it off obviously timmy didn't and it became those lovely flowing locks of his and that's how superstitious i was i was like it's the hair i gotta switch it up yeah the hair um and i guess jumping uh, to kind of later in your career you played uh, on numerous independent league teams what is the vibe in independent baseball is it is it all fun and games is it guys trying to resurrect their career is it a blend of both all of the um, all the above so was it was it a good time down there in the independent leagues I had a blast, man. Uh, you know, the, the first, the first time or first couple teams, I should say that, that I was on, it was, it was more of a, a struggle for me because I was, I was going through the, the dreaded thing that nobody likes to talk about was, was the yips, right? I had no idea where the ball was going and it was very, frustrating for me to not be able to perform at the level that I knew I was able to perform at. And, you know, I was, I couldn't handle the fact that I was putting 
my team at a disadvantage by them throwing me out there just to try to figure it out. Um, so that didn't make it as fun. But when I, when I got to Wichita, I literally pushed the reset button. And buddy, I'm telling you, I had so much fun on that team. It was just, everybody was there to get better. Everybody was hanging out with each other outside of the field. Everybody was friendly and loving and it, it, like joking around in the clubhouse, pulling pranks. And, and that's what, that's what baseball is. It's a game. It's supposed to be fun. You know, once, once it becomes a, a job or a chore or something that, you know, just consumes you with frustration and anxiety, buddy, that's, that's not, that's not the place you want to be. Hmm. Yeah. Not transitioning into uh, the business world, as you mentioned, working in, in radio, what are you up to now? What is, what is, uh, I guess Alex Hinshaw doing now with his life? Yeah. So right now I'm, I actually work for a company called Odyssey. Mm -hmm. They are a digital and radio company podcasting pretty much anything under the sun when it comes to marketing. Uh, but here locally, I live out in Oregon, a little suburb called Beaverton, Nike headquarters. Uh, we have seven radio stations here. Um, and yeah, I do, I basically do sales for them. Account executive, I guess, key account executive is my official title. Uh, but no, it's, it's super cool. I get to, you know, kind of paint the vision of a company's message to their ideal customer and help them with their creative, you know, writing commercials, uh, producing the commercials, trying to create the right message to their perfect customer in a nutshell. Yeah. We have, we have a, we have an Odyssey station down here, sports 95, seven, the game. Yeah. So says my, my uh, sales manager used to work for the game yeah 95.7 the game and odyssey.com station that's what they always say yeah. so um yeah alex i really appreciate you coming on this was a lot of fun yeah man this was awesome and uh next time uh, we'll hear your name is going to be when you're pitching for team afghanistan in, like, <laughs> in the sixth inning of like a 13 to four game so can't wait or get yourself in the alumni games you know you, you got a lot of schools to go back to so yeah right i got four of them to choose from yeah just four straight weekends of like alumni games that would be oh, great so i don't i don't think they have enough ice for that <laughs> exactly we gotta we gotta take some from like down south and like antarctica just grab a grab a glacier and bring yeah, it up just grab to, me a tip of a glacier and just put my body in it we'll be good there I'm we go old, man i can't i don't know if i could do it <laughs> right on uh, anyways, yeah, again, I appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. And uh, again, everybody could subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast. And uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And have a great day.